You're listening to a Flower Pop production. Hello, lovely people. Welcome to Series 10. I mean, Series 10. I can't quite believe it, but I'm so, so pleased that you are here and listening and it just means the world. So thank you very much. Now, before we start, just very quickly, I just wanted to let you know I have a mailing list. Now, I know what you might be thinking. There are so many of these in the world and the last thing you want is something else coming into your inbox. But just to let you know, what I do is I send a little note before these podcasts to talk about my wonderful guests or also what I'm learning in Next Chapter Living, all little points which I hope might help you. We're building quite a world over in the Next Chapter community. It is a lovely, supportive world and I'd love you to be part of it. You can sign up at elliebarkerwrites.com. Anyway, today's guest is someone many of us grew up with on Saturday morning television. Let me introduce you to the wonderful Maggie Philbin. You you also need that tap on your shoulder to help you understand that you do have potential. It's absolutely up to you to realise it. Now, we know Maggie from the days of Swap Shop. Millions of children tuned in every Saturday and she helped transform our weekend mornings. She then moved to Tomorrow's World, where for eight years she helped change the way we all think about science and technology. This all then inspired her to begin her own next chapter and she set up the charity Teen Tech, which 15 years later, she and her team are now still changing and transforming the way young people think about science and maths. Maggie believes it's all about learning for all of us and we must keep doing this for our sakes and for our children's too. She tells us how she applied for the swap shop job without even knowing about it. And can you guess which pop star made the whole crew and studio go silent? Also, can you remember the telephone number? There you go. There's a challenge. Maggie is open, honest and also admits she's full of self-doubt. But a long time ago, she promised herself to say yes more. And I'm so, so pleased she said yes to this conversation. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Maggie Philbin. I can't quite believe I'm saying this. Maggie Philbin, welcome to the next chapter. I mean, this is just amazing to have you here. So thank you so much. Oh, no, it's great. It's great to great to be on. Thank you very much for inviting me. I very rarely let anyone know who I'm going to interview on the next chapter. And I was telling a couple of friends and I said it was you. And they were like, wow, because obviously lots of people listen. We all grew up with you. So we're going to get straight into it. Um, So we start as ever with the prologue. Now, you grew up in Leicester, if that's right. And you went to an all girls grammar school um, and you wanted to be a vet. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I saw being a vet as my entry point into somehow getting a horse. And I had been obsessed, like many sort of girls with with ponies, that that's what I wanted to have. My parents absolutely couldn't afford even for me to have riding lessons, let alone even think about a horse. So, yeah, when I was considering career pathways, I thought, well, if I was a vet, number one, I'd be able to afford a horse. Number two, I'd be a horse vet. Yeah, of course. Why not? But so, I mean, so, but obviously you didn't become a vet, but you did. I mean, you you were very, you said you were good at maths and physics. 
less so chemistry but I was a bit I I was a bit surprised but then I suppose when I thought about what you have done then I wasn't because also you studied English history French and German so you really had the the whole spectrum as such not just the sciences yeah and and it's something that I I do care about that I feel that, that, that what we do at the moment within our education system is to ask young people to choose too early without having any real understanding of what might be useful to them in the future because who can predict the future so we we do ask for that early specialization and when I think back to when I was at school I found it really difficult I had to make a choice like do you want to do art because if you want to do art you can't do physics and I at that stage I was like hell-bent on being a vet so I thought well I've got to do physics so I'll have to give up art and there were other seemingly bonkers choices so pre-A level I didn't do history I can't remember what that clashed with possibly (laughs) chemistry but after O level as it was then I I thought no I really like history I'm going to do history A level I I think I was a bit of a nightmare when it came to all of the the scheduling of subjects but you know for a young person trying to make those choices enjoying certain subjects and then being told well they might not be as useful to you Mm. and, and trying how can anyone decide at the age of 14 what you're going to be doing mm-hmm. absolutely and I mean I, I've got uh, two boys so one's 13 and he you know he'll be getting into choosing his options and so it's exactly that you know we do have this conversation and they're just so young even at 18 when you're picking a degree as such it's, it's a very young age isn't it and you sort of get pigeonholed very early on yeah and I think the key is do not allow yourself to be pigeonholed mm-hmm. that that I think is the key oh, my, my own daughter is is 35 now and she works in tech back when she was at school she absolutely couldn't see the point why would anyone think about tech as a career she thought she wanted to be a lawyer but a, a very wise teacher at school said look if you're going to go to university, do something you really love. You can do a conversion course to law if that's what you really want to do, but do a subject you love. So she did geography. And then, like many students, left university thinking, well, what will I do? And by chance, a friend of mine had a startup and he was desperate for help. And I said, well, why don't you borrow Rose for a bit? Now, it's one of the things that has been really important to me with teen tech is it was really fortunate for Rose I happened to have that connection I had that network and also quite frankly I could afford for Rose to live at home work for free um, for this person for six months and that made all the difference to Rose because she realized number one actually this world of tech is a bit more interesting than I imagined and number two she started to absolutely understand her real strengths the strengths that would carry her through a career and with the work that I do with with teen tech that's what I'm trying to do is to give more young people that network so that they have an opportunity to meet interesting people doing things that they might not 
imagine were actual jobs um so that it it helps to raise the aspiration of certain young people but also gives them the confidence that they would number one be good at it and number two enjoy it yeah yeah. and the enjoying is important isn't it well of course it is I mean it's the key to all of it isn't it I mean we will come on we'll we'll absolutely come on to the teen tech because it's it's absolutely fascinating but just just staying with you Maggie just keeping on with you just at the moment so you so you actually and again this this did surprise me but again then it didn't when I thought about it because you went on to do English and drama at Manchester because I was thinking oh of course you would have done a science but no because because obviously then what we we know you for I mean that is very much to do with you know presentation and drama and that so so you obviously you decided you went really the other way then having thought you wanted to be a vet then you went and did English and drama yeah, I, 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 I suppose I, I did something that I really loved. I took a year out after A-level because I was so muddled about what I wanted to do. And that was quite an unusual thing back in the dark ages that, that <laughs> did something like that. During that year out, I had a job at a theatre. I worked on stage electrics. I worked for... Uh, BBC Radio Leicester they they gave me a, a a a job doing research and actually I didn't want to go to university at all and, I, and my my parents remember this me going into a meltdown going I don't want to go to university I know what I want to do uh, but and so there was a bit of negotiation around what I did at university, and, and I was glad that I went. I I I I don't say oh it was it it wasn't useful to go. It was really useful to go, but that's why I did English and drama. That was the I thought I want to do something I really want to do. Yeah, that was the compromise. Did your did your parents go to university, Maggie? No. No, and so I was like the first in the whole family, the whole extended family to go to university. It was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And they very they were incredibly proud when I I I, I was offered a place at, at Manchester University and they were yeah, it, it was it was a big deal for our yeah. family that yeah. I went. And and also it was a reminder because my dad both my dad and my mum really bright people but for different reasons that opportunity was absolutely not there there for them Mm. but it wasn't though I mean I was the first person in my family to go to university and but my mum you know her parents they they came out the war you know it was just there there was so much else going on wasn't there that it was just lots and I it was very rare that anyone went to university yeah, yeah. My, my mum left school when she was 14 because her dad, who was an engineer, didn't believe in education for girls. Yeah. And she had an education in a way uh, because she worked during the war. She had worked in signals and loved it, but then was told after the war, she thought, I'd really like to carry on working in this area, but was told, oh, no, we don't have women um, it was fine. It was fine during the war, but you know, in your box. Off you go now. Uh, yeah, that was good. Um, and my dad had had a, a, a very serious leg injury when he was a teenager at fourteen, and so he'd been in hospital for uh, two years having bone grafts, which back then was a, a really a very very significant 
operation. And so then he went to a school, which uh, because his family were like Catholics, was this there was this Catholic um, school so that if you'd missed education in any way, it was like a catch up school. And so and my dad was very brilliant at maths, very, very brilliant. And so ultimately he became an accountant. Mm -hmm. So both of my parents, in a way, had had a very big tripwire put in front of them. Mm. And I think they were they cared so much that I had this opportunity to go to university that they hadn't had. And it was really important that I made the most of that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Which we'll go and talk about. Does it, did your mum work? Did she have a job? Yeah. And I, and I think that was also a little bit unusual for the time. So yeah, my mum, my mum worked. Uh, she worked for what was known then as the Department of Health and Social Security. And I, I, it's one of my uh, very firm childhood memories is that all the other kids were picked up from school by their mum and I had to wait in the classroom until my mum came to pick me up after work. Mm. And it was, <laughs> it was a convent school and, and the nuns terrified me because they, they would sweep in. You always heard them come and you'd hear this rattle of rosary beads and the swish as they came down the corridor. And you think, oh, which one is this going to be? And they, they, they would see me doing my homework, which of course I immediately opened and uh, got out. And they, oh, you're so, you're so good. You're going to be a nun when you grow up. And I was just like terrified at the prospect. <laughs> This was my future. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really imagine you being a, a nun, Maggie. What we saw of you, but but still, you know, they didn't know it. They, you know, they were they were meaning well for you. They were meaning well. But I tell you what they did do because I, I. It's funny. People have very mixed uh, impressions, don't they, of convent schools? But they were really ambitious for us, those nuns. And they would talk about, you can be a doctor, you can be a vet, you can be the world. is. So they were, um, they, uh, aside from the fact that there, there were some of us, they were eyeing up as potential candidates. They, they were ambitious for us. And, and I think, you know, that was, was really important. And that, that, in that sort of thing inside, well, if I want to do something, I can do it. It's within my power to do, do to do it, and I'm and I'm not a confident person. I'm quite a shy person, but I think somehow that real determination of if I want to achieve, I am going to do. I am going to, you know, do this was yeah. served by those nuns. Well, I mean, incredible, really, and your mum as well. The fact that you had this, the the fear, and obviously your dad did, but to to have that feeling, because again, it was unusual that because um, my mum had exactly the same thing. She was sort of offered like a scholarship, and her dad said, "Oh no, you've got to go out and go to work," you know, and that's what it was. And yeah, and then she was a a full time mum, great, you know, and she did work, but she she never she really put it in me to have my own. Uh, as my dad did and then you, when you've got people believing you like that like that and like the nuns that's just it is it makes all the difference yeah yeah and 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 sometimes you you also need that tap on your shoulder to help you understand that you do have potential it's absolutely up 
to you to realize it. Some people will be really lucky. Their parents will have myriad connections. Things will be okay. I always knew I had to, if I was going to do something, it was totally down to me. Mm -hmm. And I had to make it happen. I'd got these marvelous parents who were behind me, but I had to, I had to make that happen. And while I was at school, the, there's a teacher, and then the, I was good at what I was good at. That that was me at school. So there were certain subjects which I found very easy, and I loved them, and I enjoyed the teachers. I did well in them. There were other subjects where sometimes where a bit of uh, revision was required, I was less good at because this required application and. And it was actually a French teacher who pulled me aside when I, it, it was just before my mock O-level, as they were then, exams, and said, you know, I've gone through She was new, so she just joined that term. And she said, you know, I've just been looking at all of your results for the past four years. And every year you have managed to just fail French. And she said, I don't understand this because you're a bright girl. And you could totally, I, I, it makes no sense to me. And I would like you to think about over the Christmas holidays before the mock exam, what you might perhaps be able to do. Uh, are you actually learning the vocabulary, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that was a little tap on the shoulder. That was someone saying, you can do this, you know, it, it's in your power to do this. And I, I, I that, I can identify that moment where, from an academic point of view, that was my turning point. Mm. And I started to, <laughs> probably makes me sound like such a stupid person. So but I really don't think until that moment I had realised that if I put a bit of effort in, yeah. I could actually achieve bigger things than I was achieving. And I turned it round. Completely, and not just in French, but everything else at the same time. And it, it remains one of my proudest achievements. So I went from just consistently just failing French, which I'd done, to um, not only sort of passing O-level, but I did it at A-level and got a grade A. And that was that teacher yeah. just giving me that tap on the shoulder. And also, well done you for taking it on board, because you can sort of take a bit of, you know, you're a teenager that you can take a bit of umbrage to it. But you took you listened and she was absolutely, absolutely right as well. That's amazing. Did, did you have do you have brothers and sisters? Um, I have a sister. Yeah, a younger sister. Yeah, she's three years younger. Okay, so you were really you were the first lady. So so I didn't I didn't know this. And I think this is amazing. So basically, then you saw an advert in the stage newspaper so anyone listening I'm, who don't know I mean that was a it was a news kind of like a newspaper wasn't it that it was about sort of it, you know it, it was like an industry kind of paper and there was an advert and it was for a co-presenter on multicolored swap shop and you got it I mean <laughs> amazing but it didn't say in the ad it was a box numbered ad right. uh, so you I didn't have a clue who it actually was and I was in the middle of my finals at university at the time and I had bought the stage newspaper because I had realized by then I was not going to act I 
I was surrounded by some brilliant actors at university and, and I knew I was not one of them. But I did think I was quite good at producing and directing. That was what I thought I would be able to do. I, I had just um, at that time produced um, a show and I was able, just because there were some great students at Manchester, this show I produced, I had managed to um, get Rick Mayle, Aid Edmondson, I, I think, I'm trying to think whether Ben Elton was was in it. But anyway, um, and so I thought, actually, I, I'm much better behind the scenes, really. So when I saw that ad, I wasn't thinking for a minute, this will be me. I was mainly thinking two things. It was a bit of legitimate displacement activity because I was supposed to be revising and it meant I could write a letter. This is obviously pre-internet days. But also behind it, I I was thinking, well, I know how hard it is to get in front of people because I'd seen this with the years who had gone on to try and find jobs before me, that it was really hard to get in front of people, let alone be successful once you were there. So I thought, well, if I get, if I do get, you know, shortlisted for this, then I'm not going to get it. But they they perhaps will like me enough to um, direction in in terms of uh, you know how do I get an assistant producer's job etc cetera, etc cetera. so that was why I responded but I didn't know what the job was so and what did it say what did the advert say I have actually got it I will come and do you want me to get it off the wall go on, go on. let's get let's, this amazing advert right let me get it for you yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're in our own episode now of swap shop You see, if I was a normal person, I would have had this ready. But this actually is because this is a doubt because no one ever believes me when I say I had no idea what the job was. But can you see this is the original ad? um, And can you see how it's just like a box number? Yeah, it is. And it sort of says the chance of a lifetime. Do could you be a top TV personality? And I read through it and, you know, all of the various things that it says. And so it said, could you cope with the pressures and excitement of a live top rating television show? Can you play a musical instrument? Do you think you could interview anybody? Can you swim, ride, dive, ski, surf, skate, run, play darts, tennis, football, or more important, would you be prepared to learn? (laughs) Were Were you prepared to learn or could you do all those things, Maggie? Do you know what? That phrase, or would you be willing to learn, was what made me apply. Because, no, I can't do any of those things. Um, Well, I mean, I can swim. (laughs) I can't dive. Um, But I I wrote a very tongue-in-cheek letter. And then, much to my surprise, the shared telephone in our building rang one of my mates answered it came into my room and went who do you know at the BBC the BBC are on the phone and I picked up you know the phone and they said we'd like you to come 
for an interview. And I was so excited. I got off the phone and I took the address down, thankfully. I, uh, but when, after I replaced the receiver, I realized I still hadn't asked them what the job was. I still didn't know what on earth <laughs> I was going to be interviewed. Um, my flatmate and I had this long discussion about should I phone them back? I did have their number to say, oh, by the way, what is the programme and what is the job? And we both agreed that would look desperate, like you would do anything. So we thought it was much better <laughs> to not know and be prepared for anything. Yeah. And that's, that's what I did. So I had to go for this job, not knowing well. And uh, as I say, Ben Elton was at uni and he was a great friend. And, and he says he remembers sitting in this garden with me, working out what should I go as? Should I go as business type person? Should I go as girl next door? Should I go as? And in the end, it was dictated by the fact that I found a shop which was selling you know, outfits really quite cheaply. And I managed to get something for 25 quid. So, you know, the decision was made. And what kind of outfit was that? What did you decide? It, it was it was a kind of, and, and actually in a funny kind of way, it did get me the job because it, it and, and, the, and the main attraction of this outfit, it was a kind of jumpsuit and, and there was a I, the shirt that came with it, but also it came with a free pair of boots. And you can imagine what this ensemble actually looked like and one of the things that they said to me during the chat when they explained what the program was blah 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 and they said oh really like what you're wearing where did you get your boots from and apparently I talked for 25 minutes about my boots <laughs> you have to tell story and they they said that was the moment when they made their mind up that I was the right person because they thought Oh, well, she'll be all right on Saturday mornings. She never stops talking. That's amazing. So wait, so did you go to the television centre in? Is that where you went for, for this, the interview? And at what point did you realise what you were there for? Well, when they brought me in and they said, uh, well, the, the, the programme is, um, it's called Swap Shop. I'd never heard of it because it was, they'd done a, a pilot series already. And, and also, the other reason I wouldn't have heard it was because I didn't have a telly. <laughs> so, even, uh, so, you had great boots, Maggie. You had a great pair of boots, and that was really all you needed. All I needed. And when I replayed the interview in my head on the way back to Manchester, I remember feeling so depressed. I ate two meat pies on the train um, because... I, you, you know how you 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 think they they ask me what what kind of films do you like? Now this was the era of Star Wars, Saturday Night Fever, etc., etc. I was a drama student, so I said, "Oh, well, actually, in terms of filmmakers at the moment, I really like Chabrol and The Theatre of Blood." And, and on, on the train, I was just thinking, it's a children's program. You've been talking about Chabrol and the Theatre of Blood. <laughs> you are mad. Uh, you needed a very 
broad, you know, somebody who could cope with anything. And you were you were proving, Maggie, that you could. <laughs> well, I, I, they took a massive risk with me. They really did. And for that, I am forever grateful. Rosemary Gill, who invented Saturday morning telly, as, as you know, we know it, was she was in her at that time in her late 50s. I think many people imagine it was dreamt up by some very cool you know, young people, etc. But it wasn't. It, she had a deep understanding of children and what would appeal to them. And she was very, very, very clever, mm-hmm. a, an extraordinary woman. And she just took this gamble because she said she'd got Noel Edmonds and Keith Chegwin and John Craven, who were very different personalities, and but it worked and she wanted a woman and whoever it was needed to be able to work with all of these people on some in some way so it, and that was important it wasn't she didn't want someone who would would be great and would only be able to work with Noel or only be able to work with Keith etc she wanted someone who could bridge mm. <laughs> many different personalities and uh, she did choose wisely because we beca- all of us became such very, very, very strong friends. Mm. And and I think it's something, it's quite interesting with telly, isn't it? Because I think you can sense that, mm, yeah, you sense can. those authentic relationships. And I also think an audience is a bit more forgiving when they feel that the people they are watching are real. And when they're laughing and joking and enjoying things that that's for real it's not a confection you can't you can't make up something like that um you know my and I know that from my own experience of television never I've never done a three-hour show like that but you know you just can't make it up the 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 camera does lie sometimes but it doesn't lie when it comes to that and to chemistry and and I mean and because when I was going back over it it's like it sounds really silly, but the number 01818055, it's like, yes, I mean, we all remember that. And it's just like you were there working on this, that that it just like was our, it formed our our childhood. You know, it really did. And so ha- she was so, cl- she really was so clever. And this is like that you named your daughter actually after her because to, I mean, you obviously, and and isn't that wonderful as well? Again, this is coming through the with the women and the women believing in women, and then this then you had your lovely daughter as well. But it's just it's passing this belief, and I suppose as well when you look back at your school, where like we were saying, you not being pigeonholed, but you were with science, but then you know you turned it around with your French and other. Now that that obviously put you in good stead because then when you went into this job, you were extremely versatile and were able to get on with different people and. You know, so it, it actually, you had no idea, but it was really setting you up for this amazing adventure. It, it's funny, you know, Steve um, Jobs always said that, um, you know, life is all about connecting the dots. and But the problem is that the dots are only apparent in retrospect, because you can see, and I can see how all sorts of things have set me up to do things uh, but obviously, yeah, you can't anticipate what those dots are going to be. What you can do, and it's something I installed in my daughter, and 
again with the young people that I meet now is that saying yes rather than no is generally where it's safe to do so is generally a good plan Mm. and never say no because you think you can't do something because you will surprise yourself Mm -hmm. and that will be a it will be such a valuable experience for you so so often when we 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 work with quite a lot of disadvantaged young people and when we go into a school sometimes teachers will say oh um you 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 know you won't be able you know they're quite reticent you won't be able to get them to present in front of the class blah 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 and I do take pleasure in surprising people (laughs) because if if you give students that belief that number one it's always worth having a go and number two the world and your world is absolutely not going to stop spinning if it doesn't go quite right and also it's fine if it goes wrong it doesn't matter that um, having saying yes rather than no I think is a, a, a good mantra yeah yeah because we do say no. you're absolutely right we do say no without even realizing that we're saying no all the time it's like, oh you know in terms of these conversations the next chapter you know people say oh I haven't got the time oh I don't know I can't do it. it's too late it's really you're just saying no to it aren't you because there are ways around all of those oh, I, I, I generally do try to say yes where wherever I possibly can mm. and when I look back I mean and it may seem unbelievable but I nearly said no to Tomorrow's World. <gasps> no. A massive mistake that would have been. Right. And that was purely because I thought I, I won't be able to do this. I I didn't even do O-level chemistry. How can I do this program? I nearly said no. Well, that's it. Because cause so you did swap shop. For, was that was that for that was till was that 1982? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did so, I did that for four years. Four years. Let me just ask before we move on. I know this is a really difficult question because you had, I mean, it was just brilliant, all the phone-ins and the live. If I, just like now, just in the morning, on a Monday morning, if you, if I was to say to you one of your, like your favourite, most memorable moments of that and working that, what would come to mind? Oh, there were so many things. I think what I loved about it, if, because it was completely ad lib from start to finish the only bit that was ever rehearsed were the first 30 seconds of and then the rest of it was was ad lib and favorite moments were that my learning from Noel was things will sometimes go wrong and the key thing is don't worry just go with the flow it's fine and so when things went wrong they were really going wrong they weren't set up to go wrong and of course it is very funny and that they they, they were glorious moments and so they were they were special I really enjoyed the outside broadcasts or most of them because because it was winter (laughs) they were perishingly cold sometimes children turning blue but that you know, being just watching the the crew set up and I always just think it was miraculous that you could be in the middle of nowhere a park in some whatever part of the UK and you'd be able to get pictures back yeah 
because you uh, you understood well if you're in a studio everything is this really controlled environment when you're out uh, and uh, you're starting from scratch and rigging and cabling and everything uh, I, it was so impressive mm-hmm. and I I think one thing also I've learned about myself is I'm very uh, I am a team person I like working in a team I love that feeling mm-hmm. that everyone's working together particularly if it might be against the odds yeah. that's a nice feeling and I'd learned that that's what I'd learned when I did that year out at the at the theatre was I loved that sense that come you know the camaraderie of the stage electric team and the the get-ins and the get-outs overnight and everything I loved all of that mm-hmm. and so yeah, the the OBs were were a, a fabulous time, and then we did have so many amazing people as guests in that studio. Oh, I mean, the thing was um, because back in the day, the way the charts were <laughs> organised was it was really valuable if you had a, a, a record out that you got on Saturday mornings because there was still time for the kids to go out and buy it. So no one ever said no. Um, Blondie, Kate Bush, whoever, were perfectly happy to come and muck about in the in the studio. And I do remember. I I remember Kate Bush's. I mean, because people often say who created the biggest effect, and it was definitely Kate, because as I say, the the crew and the team were well used to every which um, band um, and star coming in. But I really remember Kate Bush coming in and I, there was like almost a silence fell on the studio. She had this real aura about her. Oh, amazing. Honestly, I, I, you know, I think live television is just, you can't, it's one of the most magical things. To, even to this day, it fascinates me exactly. And I didn't realise as well with Swapshot, they would often have their OBs where there was a big sporting event. So they could, I mean, it's because this is, again, this was, it was a while ago that now we use these tiny little live views, but this was great big productions, wasn't it? I could talk about this side of it all day, but I won't, because then, so this, so tomorrow's world. <laughs> Also, let me give you one more little bit of a snippet. When we used to travel to the OBs, which mostly we did by train, there was some kind of an offer. I think it was parcel vouchers that you could get two tickets for the price of one with these parcel vouchers. And that's Swap Shop used to use these parcel vouchers. It's something that absolutely, and it was just so important that we all had to travel together. <laughs> the parcel vouchers. It was anyway. Yeah, thank goodness for parcel. The glamour of television, there, Maggie. The glamour of television. So then, yeah. So tomorrow's world. You then you did that for eight years didn't you? You, you were, were you there for about eight years so how did that because isn't that interesting as well how there you were back at school with the science doing the maths and the physics and thinking about being a vet and then you're offered a job all based around science and technology yes it um it, it sort of came out slightly out of the blue the one of the producers from tomorrow's world did he sort of created this idea for a science show called The Show Me Show, which was like a, a sort of poppy version of 
Tomorrow's World very much. It was originally designed to go in the children's um, slot. And he happened to watch Swap Shop one morning when I was explaining how, I think it was how a cotton mill worked. And he thought, oh, she's quite good at explaining things. And so he sent me a note and asked if I'd like to present this new program called The Show Me Show, which I did. And the controller of BBC One looked at The Show Me Show and said, oh, I don't know. Um, why don't we put this out in, while Tomorrow's World is off during the summer, why don't we put this in the Tomorrow's World slot? And of course, Tomorrow's World <laughs> saw it. I think working on the principle of keep your enemies close, um, wrote to me and said, would I like to have a job on, on Tomorrow's World? I mean, it was just one extraordinary. Oh, my it was just like, but I got, I got this letter the day before I was getting married and all of those, that self-doubt crept in I thought it's one thing to do the show me show it's it's fun it's a but you know tomorrow's world is very serious and uh, oh, I don't know uh, and I yeah so I I wrote back and said oh thank you so much for this you know it's, it's such a lovely offer can I think about it and I explained I said I'm just about to go on honeymoon I'll be away for three weeks can I come back to <laughs> made my mind up I mean my blood goes cold. You just can't imagine. But I was so worried. I was so scared of not hitting the mark. And mm -hmm. I thought I, 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 I was concerned. And I knew Tomorrow's World at that time was very, it was very formal. And I thought, oh, I, I don't, how will I fit in this environment? I'm used to having so much freedom and uh, will I, will I, will I be able to make this work? Anyway, uh, thankfully I thought, no, say yes, not no. And I had a year where I did a lot of learning, but equally I had an editor on um, Tomorrow's World who believed in me and who gave me, enough rain to make what was a very square hole much rounder so it fitted and that was yeah I was for, so fortunate that he allowed me to do that he allowed me to do it my way and the things are always it's come back comes back to that authenticity thing mm. it it will just be better if you can do it your way rather than somebody else's way yeah, of course it will. And Maggie, how long after Swap Shop was this? Uh, well, yeah, it was immediate because Swap, um, I'd done Swap Shop until whatever it was, let's say March or April. I think it was normally around the FA Cup time. That was sort of the time that Swap Shop would go off air for the summer. The Show Me Show ran in that gap. And while at the end of the Show Me Show, the producer asked me to do Tomorrow's World and then I joined Tomorrow's World in, I think it was the November that year. Goodness me. I, sp I suppose as well, I mean, when you went into Swap Shop, you didn't even, you know, know for sure what, you didn't know what the show was. By this stage, I mean, it was big and TV 
I mean, it was huge. And the audiences, like you're saying, so people would have known you, you know, life had changed a lot then. I suppose perhaps you did. I'm using amateur psychology here, Maggie, but I suppose it's you had a lot more to lose, didn't you? Because the swap shop was such a high that I suppose you didn't want, this was very grown up. It was very, you know, in the middle, you know, it, like primetime television for the BBC in front of a huge audience. And it, and it was serious and it was, you know, groundbreaking. I can understand that you probably felt quite a lot of pressure with that. Yeah, I, I, I did. And I think I had spent four years finding my feet on swap shop uh, it was like an apprenticeship in how to be a television uh, reporter or presenter so i'd i'd had those years and i throughout my time on swap shop i always felt like the student was got very lucky which indeed i was and i suppose i just at the towards the end of that time and then coming into the show me show i was finding my feet and thinking i feel I'm feeling comfortable about the way I'm doing this. And then I was asked to make this other leap. And it was it was quite a well-known thing that that transition, if you'd been in children's and then you went into sort of what's regarded as, you know, an, an older audience, that this transition could be quite hard because you could be pigeonholed. But I think I was really fortunate in because I had done Saturday mornings, which was a family audience, that was different to doing a children's programme within children's at that time. So I think that was helpful, yeah. might have been helpful to me. And maybe as well for Tomorrow's World, uh, well, I mean, and I know because with the, uh, the benefit of hindsight, people tell me that I was able to bring some of that younger audience who were watching Saturday mornings into a program that they might not have watched mm. otherwise. Um, so I think that happened. But obviously, at the time, all I could think of was oh, I didn't get chemistry. How did this work out? Yeah. But then I realised, guess what? Um, I, we're, we're dealing with ground breaking areas of science and technology and I'm getting my head around all this um so maybe it wasn't my fault that I didn't get to grips with chemistry well no and maybe that was all part of it because this is what we're which will bring us on to the whole idea of I mean and I mean even today I hate to say it but women and technology and it you know it's still there is still something around it isn't it you know and and so you were just showing actually you were a very real person coming in, talking about these matters. And again, this goes back to the authenticity, isn't it? Whereas perhaps if you did have the knowledge of a chemistry degree, actually that would make you less relatable for people because it's the simplifying of it all, which is the, the clever part of it, I suppose. And so, I mean, obviously, Maggie, there's so much you did that. Even we were talking before we started recording with Radio Berkshire, you did lots on radio. You've done so, so much when it comes to broadcasting. And I know I'm con I am so conscious I talked to you for about three hours about it all. But what is amazing, so that because then it was in 2008 that you formed, you started a charity, your charity, Teen Tech. Hmm. So, so this was where, how did this all come about? Was this after Tomorrow's World? Yes, so this was after Tomorrow's World, and I, I, as you can imagine, because of the uh, there, were, there was a lot of uh, concern that 
when it came to uh, to science as well as tech and certainly in engineering that women were very few on the ground so I was constantly being asked to do speak at conferences around this whole issue. And I was asked to speak at a particular event. And something made me say, I said, look, do you know what? We're all, we all know the stats and this doesn't seem to move as much further forward. So I think if, if there is a tiny bit of budget, can we go and chat to the kids directly? And it's not that they will tell us anything we don't know but I think the way they tell us might be quite interesting to hear and and they said yeah no that sounds like a great idea so we made these short little films and they were really powerful mm-hmm. so when I asked I say this was 2007 I made these little films and when I asked the kids I got like a couple of classes two different um age ranges and I asked um one the class to think about the upcoming Olympics because by then we knew that we were going to host the Olympic Games in 2012. I said, "How? What kind of technology do you think would transform the experience of the Olympic Games?" So the kids worked on that to come up with ideas, and then we pulled them out one by one and asked them a few questions. One of which was, "Can you name?" A, anyone contemporary working in science, tech, or engineering. And with no word of a lie, and I can send you this video, these kids go, uh, Einstein? And they all said Einstein, apart from one who said Charles Cabbage. Um, and, and I thought, gosh. <laughs> Hang on, there could be some work to be done in the time Thames Valley and these kids have got no idea of you know they're not naming people like you know uh, so uh, and then but when we you looked at the ideas they had for the Olympic Games they were full of ideas and the contrast between the two and they also talked about what at that time was happening in their their science um, their science lessons at school and you just thought there has to be a, a way of connecting those young fresh ideas of what working in science and tech might ab- absolutely be like. And so, uh, with uh, I, I, I went to talk. There was someone um, local. I was working in the Thames Valley at the time. I went to talk to the head of the Institute of Directors. Uh, it was this lovely bloke, Chris Dodson. And I said, you know what, Chris, I think what we need is literally an event that brings the kids directly into contact with people working in these areas. And we need to construct it so it's meaningful. They can have meaningful conversations and it's fun and it's interactive. And Chris said, well, do it then. So he um, and I uh, you know, Chris was very much the co-founder of Team Tech because he was the one who gave me the kick up the backside. Oh. Do it. And we did it uh, in 2008. And we did what I thought was going to be a one-off event. It was very successful. And other parts of the UK said, we'd like to have a Team Tech event as well. So we um, 
you know, formulated a way of working with partners across the UK to make this happen. And, and over the last 15 years, I mean, I've never imagined we're still doing this 15 years later, but everything has come from the kits. And that is the thing that makes teen tech, I think, quite distinctive is the kids dictated what was needed. It wasn't a top down we need more engineers or whatever. It was the students made it really obvious what was lacking. And all of our subsequent projects and programs have come from young people. So mm -hmm. they said, oh, we, it would be so nice if only, it would be good if, or I wish I'd known, or when people normally come into our school and do an inspiring talk, this is where they go wrong. So we've taken direction from young people. Mm. I, Teen Tech is really as a grassroots organisation, but which is tackling global issues. If that doesn't sound too grand, I don't mean to sound grand, but that's what we. That's yeah, that is. I mean, it doesn't sound too grand. I mean, and but also it's so essential, isn't it? And and you know, I suppose it's always been the case, but even sort of like now, I mean, um, and actually coming from you as well, I mean, you have the job you know, on television and it was amazing and and then the Tomorrow's World job. But you also understand that actually there's, like what you were touching on with your daughter earlier, there are some really fascinating, amazing, brilliant jobs out there. And because I suppose we don't see them so much and we don't, so everyone, you know, my sons and lots of them all want to be YouTubers now or, you know, it's like that's the kind of thing. But actually, even with the yes if you want to be a youtuber fine but but learn and, and teach and use this as a medium you have to have something there that you're providing and this is a there, it, it's really linking in isn't it to have this knowledge and coding and all this kind of thing it's actually you can create your complete own worlds I think that you know that that is a a, a a really exciting aspect of uh, our time at the moment, because back in the day when I was doing Tomorrow's World, if you had an amazing idea, normally you would only have been able to build and deliver that idea if you were a sizable company or if you were working within a, a, a university or an institution. It's very hard otherwise to get ideas off the ground. But we live in a digital age now, and that means that you can take an idea, literally, you can say, actually, this is what is needed. There's a problem here. This is a way that tech could solve it. And you can build that idea. Now, you do need to have certain skills. And developing a knowledge of, you know, what skills might be appropriate is, is a very good way, to, a good way to start. And some of the things that we say to young people are, are you don't necessarily have to be an expert in, for instance, programming. But if you understand how to code, if you've just got a basic understanding, you will have some insight into what might be possible and what might not. You'll have some insight. You will be able to work with an expert programmer because we're all different. And for some people, that will be they will want to take that skill to the absolute, you know, the highest possible level. And 
Other people will not want to do that, but they will be really good at having ideas, uh, perhaps being able to see when something has been built, what might improve it, what might weaken it. So that there are different skills involved. And, and that's something that we want young people to see. This year within the Teen Tech Awards, we've introduced a category which is uh, called use of AI, artificial intelligence, because we know, I mean, and you will be aware of the, all of the, the rumblings around this within education. It's like, oh, they'll all be cheating. They'll all be getting chat GPT to write their essays or whatever. But we do need to embrace this because understanding how to work with AI will be something that young people have to get to grips with. Whatever they do, mm. it, it's coming into all of our all of our worlds and it is a skill like any any other mm. you know the calculator meant that we had a slightly different emphasis in maths in that we weren't expecting people to have to get their heads mm. they were allowed to use a calculator um because and then that meant that maths went went up a level yeah, in, yeah it's it's just a different slightly different emphasis i think because there we ha you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about calculator. There has always, there's always been something. And at the time it's like, oh my goodness, this is really bad. This is really bad. And it's terrible. But we, what you've seen, I mean, you've worked within science now for a long time. And it, I mean, in those 15 years that you've had teen tech, do you think with the young, with the teenagers, are, are you seeing a shift? You know, do you think it is very different to how it was in terms of their attitudes to science and technology, or do you think we've still got quite a long way to go? It's quite interesting. What what we've always done at Teen Tech, and this is this is thanks to Chris, who thank goodness from the get go said you must measure impact. It's not about a cheery. We all had a great time. Thank you very much, and etc. He said it's about capturing what do they come in thinking, what do they leave you thinking so we we've always done that and there are some questions that we have kept the same mm. since 2008 wow. so that's quite interesting in terms of data so one of the things that shows up there is back in 2008 when we uh, there was a question that we asked around where <clears throat> where are you getting information about future careers who do you trust to let you know. And overwhelmingly, it was parents, major influences, um, teachers coming up there, and then maybe friends lower down, uh, websites, really, and, and, and social media, which obviously back in 2008 was only really just beginning. Now, um, parents are still up there, but alongside parents is YouTube and social media. Mm. So that is quite interesting. So they they are aware of the some of the roles within technology. But obviously no one no one person can ever keep track of everything that's going on in every area. So if 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 you're if they happen to have a parent who works in tech they may have perhaps more knowledge than a, a, a student who doesn't 
but they might might not understand what's happening in biotech, which is another big area. So I think it is still really hard for young people and their parents and teachers to grasp what will be a, a what what is out there for our young people to do in the future. I think that is still really quite hard. But there are definitely certain skills which are core to being better prepared for whatever that future may be. And that is an interesting challenge for education because it you know the core some of the things that education is historically wanted to do is around measuring and if you're able to measure something then that makes for a good exam if you can't measure it because it's harder to measure that tends to be kicked into the long grass. And actually some of those things, just because they're hard to measure, doesn't mean they shouldn't be absolutely core. So what do I think is important for young people? I think willingness to learn new things, having the ability to, and the curiosity to be able to teach yourself really new things is, is really important. And having the conf- having a certain amount of confidence, confidence so that, you know, even if you can't do something at the moment with the right uh, amount of, you know, time uh, and, you know, development of skills, you will be able to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not something to be frightened of, the fact that you can't do it at the moment. You know, you will be able to do it. Uh, so I think there are certain things. I think we need to personal view now. I think there are changes needed within education to give teachers essentially the time to be able to teach and develop those young people in a way which is setting them up for the future that we will have. Uh, I think a lot of teachers feel quite frustrated by some of the things they have to do which in their heart of hearts perhaps they don't believe is in the best interest of of young people. It's my personal view there, but that's what I feel. And it is hard. I mean, I would love to give teachers a bit more wriggle room to be able to do the stuff that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But also that, I mean, I know that lots of parents listen to this, but when you, just listening to you speak there, Maggie, I mean, going back to you, when you we start off, so I think it's so fascinating, like when we, we always start off like with a prologue, when you were talking and, you know, about when the teacher said to you about with your French and that was a, that actually was a skill. That was something you can't measure, but it was the way you could t- take responsibility that actually, do you know, I'm not applying myself as well as I could do, but then you learn what to do, whether it was learn your vocabulary or, you know, spend time on something you find hard, which you know, I know with my next chapter here, like uh, my husband and I are doing lots of courses at the moment about Facebook ads, because uh, that's how you, and honestly, Maggie, we find it so hard. I find it so hard to just, and I, I have this voice saying, I can't do this. You can't do this. I was never good at math. I never, but actually it's, 
you can I know I can I couldn't do television when I first started you know it's all these things and so it's it's those skills which actually and like when you did your swap shop job you know the phrase you know are you willing to learn that's exactly it and so really we're say you're kind of saying well that's that's all what is applying now it's no one knows what the future holds but if you've got this curiosity and are willing to do the work actually this is going to help you in a, in a much better way mm. No, absolutely. The learning, the learning never stops. I mean, when, when I get a moment, I'm just reaching over to the whatever. I know. That's what I'm reading at the moment. <laughs> yes. Okay. Wow. Coming Wave, which is um, the, it's written by the co-founder of uh, Deep Mind, and because uh, I thought I'd be just really interested in his take on AI um, and what's coming coming down the road uh, so yeah the learning never ever stops you can't just sit back and think oh right well, that's it job you know job done I'm there and and I think sometimes sweeping generalization coming but sometimes you can kill the love of learning in young people because it becomes about rote learning and they can't perhaps quite see the point yeah. Something, you know, with, with, with Teen Tech, one of the things that we do, we have this award program where the young people develop their own ideas and it's very open, but we connect them with mentors so that they don't, they're not having to just do it on their own. It, they, if, if they need to get advice and support, we can provide all of that because the point of it is more well, twofold really is enabling them to explore an area of science or tech that is meaningful to them for whatever reason and forging connections which will help them in the future and making them understand that actually most people, if you ask for help, are happy to give it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and both teachers and parents have been surprised by the amount of time that teenagers are prepared to put into a project if the project is something they actually want to do and it, it varies enormously so one example I often quote are, are uh, there were some girls in Somerset uh, one of whom had a blind dog that was very destructive and she wanted to design a toy that would be suitable for this blind and destructive dog so we connected this group of they were like 13 with I think it was Coventry University and their material science department now if I'd done it the other way around and said to those girls should we learn about material science yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't put money on them really neither no, <laughs> But they wanted to design this toy. They were happy to learn about material science, <laughs> and and that so that was great. And there were some uh, lads in a school in Brixton. Their idea was for it was it was it was a really cool idea. It was for an interactive comic, so that when you held your mobile phone over the comic, you could download games. And we connected that um, school with the um, CTO of Disney. And so the point was, get great advice, but also get inspired by someone and know, look, the CTO of Disney is happy to help if you ask. Yeah. 
because those are important things. Um, Being able to ask the right person for help when you need it is is a really powerful skill to have. Yeah, it is and being having the confidence to be able to say, I just don't know how to do this and can you help me? That's that in itself is is so important. For Maggie, for I mean, that's just it's just I mean, it's a game change. It's just game changing. It really is. It's for your to be continued. I'm guessing you're you want to just carry on doing doing this and you know, creating more of these these lives and worlds, you know, open to all this learning. Yeah, I I think w- w- one thing that I've under- understood many years afterwards was that what tomorrow's world did was open windows on the on the future but also on the world of tech and that's what we're trying to do for young people now is opening those windows and saying look look you know get to know viasat who are viasat well you know obviously sat bit of a clue satellite communications well look what they've done with the ambulance service with this interesting project so that they can see the application of technology and and i think that resonates you know you mentioned earlier on about the the gender um imbalance in tech and i think different things work for different people and for many girls being a having a sense they can make a difference to the world is is a button which is a powerful button to press so and they see actually if i have these skills i could be designing and building projects that make a difference whether they make a difference to my granny or my community or the world um pick any (laughs) but but that that might be the button for them the button will be different for for others and it, it yeah i i i get very excited by young people i they have a very fresh approach to um you know what what might happen and i, I don't think you can begin early enough we had some we were doing an event in hampshire last week we had 300 students and we had primary school students there who were thinking about ideas that would transform uh, the the future of health in the widest sense and there was the primary school this particular little group of students had focused on homeless shelters and then they had been learning about um, you know different uh, uh, sort of ways of um, using tech within uh, their projects and then that one of the kids said oh do you know what we could have outside our homeless shelter um if we had um some you know kind of uh, uh you know um like a poster up and then people w- could go by and they went by with their mobile phones they could donate automatically to mm-hmm. our homeless shelter um if we had like a qr code up why don't we do, and the teacher said she just got smacked 
yeah and the simplicity of the idea but you know and I think I mean I when you were saying earlier about who you could name I do think there is a I think it, there has been a shift because it was always all the science or it's like the the geeky subject or something like that but now you know they get because technology is such a big part of all their lives that the name you know, the Steve Jobs name you said him earlier Stephen Hawkins as well you know they I think these names are much more of their world and I suppose it's now actually because we always say to uh, we always say to our boys like they're the cool the really cool people are the cool people who make these things happen and often the really cool people you don't even know their names because they're so they're so cool and clever because they don't need everyone to know about them but they just do this amazing work um so I just yeah it's just I think it's well it's thank you because it's 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 exciting because there's so much doom and gloom about futures but this is this is very exciting Maggie who would you like to thank in your acknowledgements who are the people who have helped you along your way okay so um my parents obviously uh, because they they gave me so much love and feedback and encouragement. I, after every single show, I would phone my mum and dad and say, "What do you, <laughs> what did you think of that?" And they would tell me honestly what they thought. Um, and, and my sister and those those teachers at at school who who just said the right thing at the right time. My my mates at university, I mean, it's, it, it's a huge, a huge number of people who, uh, when you think start to think about it, mm. have shaped and helped me. One one of the things which is really lovely at the moment is a, 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 someone who I first met when I did Tomorrow's World. I made her very first film in telly. And she went on and did all sorts of amazing things. Uh, she's a, gr a great exec producer on everything from um, live live from space to, uh, in fact, Harry and Meghan's wedding. Wow. But she is now working with Teen Tech. And this is thrilling to me <laughs> because Sally, Sally has just got so much imagination and she's great fun to work with. So I, I, I and, and the whole Teen Tech team, I mean, like I said, I, I love working in a team. I find that exciting. Uh, the, I've got people in the team and, and it's going to be terrible because as soon as you start mentioning names, it's awful. So I've got really clever organisers in in the team. So uh, Sally, I've mentioned, and then, uh, you know, Danny is amazing. I mean, she will think about, no one would ever get fed if it was left up. I mean, very basic things I would just forget to do. Um, Ali, who is a tech wizard and is so knowledgeable, and, and he's a key example of someone who never stops learning. So he, you know, he, we, we got to know him, he was an app designer and builds web um, sites, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he is a wonderful multitasker. Cuts films faster than anyone. Is he's got extraordinary, um, extraordinary skills. And then we've got um, Elaine and Kathy, who are, you know, they they were both formerly teachers, so they understand schools. They understand some of the issues, and they are, are just brilliant at. You know, our events are fully inclusive. Uh, you know, we we don't say no to anybody and they make it so that 
it's really comfortable if if you have uh, special needs of whatever kind that a teen tech event is going to work for you and we just find out well what do you need for this event to work um because we you know the door is is wide open uh, and then you know previously natasha and now uh, belinda who keeps an eye on the finance side of things and so what you've got there is what we say to the kids we've all got very very different qualities really different qualities and i should mention tom as well and and tom works with ali you know on on our tech workshops and with, without that full team um who were able not only to do their jobs but we can only do in terms of the number of volunteers if i counted them up it's probably about two thousand. and so it's about being able to brief people who are coming and working with us and giving their time for the day explain to companies about the best way to bring their subject that area to life so that it is meaningful to uh, the young people i mean the list just goes on and on and on roles that never stops oh but a list of men and women there that's what's lovely it's a real mixture isn't it it's, it's not just all you know and all ages and we also have a a young person's steering group uh, as i say from the get-go teen tech was created through the real needs of young people and we formalized that some years ago and what is lovely is seeing these young people who start off with teen tech uh, and they have different experiences and then as they get uh, you know, a little bit older they join they join the board to uh, it, help dictate the direction of of travel yeah so there's a lot but you know Maggie still you're still doing the same thing it's groundbreaking you're working with children you're you know or young people and science all of it it's just it's absolutely amazing so so Maggie, I mean it's just to, to finish off we always sort of end with tips and advice there's something you said earlier about how the fear of you know learning and I and I absolutely do see this and I know lots of my friends see this as and I say this as a parent but just saying with a parent that that the love of learning can be kind of knocked out of young people with all this intensity and pressure and exams. And, and, and as parents, what do you think is the best way we can approach that? Okay. So, um, I, I think there's a number of different, um, things you can do is look around to see what's happening. And with half term sort of coming up and it's been it's sort of i'm smiling because it's europe code week which is really a fortnight because of half terms being at different times but that that is a really good place to start and you go on the eu um code week website you can see all sorts of different opportunities i've been doing some work with apple and if you happen to have an apple store near you they've got free workshops so you could go a lot you know book find out obviously because they run at different times and i think the uh, the the web um the way to sort of like check out the times if you go to apple.com forward slash today that will give you details of the actual workshops and they're free um you could download the the swift playgrounds app 
um, from the App Store. And that gives you, I mean, it's a very visual introduction to coding, but there are loads of different things. And I, and I think the thing to, you know, remember with that is, as I've said, you don't have to become an expert in this, but having a, an idea that this mysterious world of tech and all of the various different devices that our homes are getting ever fuller with, it, the, you know, running in the background, you know, are it, it's code and it's simply a, like a set of instructions, it's, it, which is and learning how to devise those sets of instructions um, can be quite an interesting, quite quite an interesting career. But it, it it's not just about coding; it's about having lots of experiences and being open and. I remember, you know, not so long ago, a, t a teacher telling a student who was was, was devising his own um, game, well, you don't want to be going, you know, wasting your time doing that. And, you know, game design is a big industry in, mm -hmm. in the UK. And there will be all sorts of new opportunities that I don't know about because they're they're not with us yet but they will be with us in six months or two years or five or five years so I think it is being being open and understanding that uh, it is very hard I think for any um, one person to be able to say this is what you should do mm, and yeah. going you know always do things that you love doing and uh, you know my my, my son-in-law is in a band and at school he was told <laughs> if you spend a little bit more time on your academic subjects and less time thinking you're going to be a rock star you'd get much further well he's since had a like a number one album and four albums in the top five so wow <laughs> he, had, he had great delight going back to his school <laughs> from the union to catch up with certain teachers so and, and that you might think oh well that's really you can't encourage everyone to be pop stars but it is about not letting go of a dream and but sometimes your dream can take you in different directions like I dreamt of being a vet but the reason I wanted to be a vet was because I wanted to get a pony yeah. end of really that was my driver I still love really love animals and I think I would have made quite a good vet actually okay. but that took me indirectly into tomorrow's world yeah did you ever get a pony I did because the thing that remember how I said how important the no, the nuns were in giving yeah. you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we lived. I we we lived out in the middle of nowhere. But I say my parents. We were not. Um, we, this was not on the horizon as being feasible. But I did three consecutive paper rounds for eighteen months because my dad unwisely said, "Well, if you if you raise half the money, then." I'll think about it. So I did that. 
that's incredible Maggie see but uh, before I ask you your very last question are you going to tell us what band your son-in-law is in because everyone's (laughs) everyone's like well what band is he in (laughs) oh he's in uh, you have to be into indie music um he's in a band called White Lies there you go. Um, and yeah, his name is Harry McVeigh. Yeah. And Rose and he, and Rose and he have been together since they were at uh, when Rose went to sixth form. Uh, that that's when they met, oh, and they're now married and they've got a baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's 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 very lovely. So he never. He was he was going to go to Manchester University. Uh, uh, Rose, uh, that's where where she where she went. And then uh, literally the week before, he went. Oh, do you know? I'm just thinking, we're just getting a bit of interest with the band now. And inside, I was thinking, oh, but you know, you should still go to uni. And that's what. I, anyway, thankfully, I didn't give him that um, advice. I let him make his own mind up. But yeah. No. <laughs> That was a full circle with your mum and dad, you know, going off to university, but then you did your English and drama. So on that note, I mean, this is so that, you know, we've spoken a lot then, it's come out a lot, like, obviously you were so influenced by your parents um, and people today are, like you are saying, yes, YouTubers, but still parents are very, very important. So I suppose one of the best things, and this is, again, the idea a bit behind the next chapter, is if, it, you know, children, you follow, you lead by example, really, don't you? And obviously, this has been a huge influence on your own daughter as, as the way that your mum was on, on you. So if you've got, if somebody's listened to this bit, and not even if they're a parent, you know just in themselves and they are feeling stuck and they're still thinking and they're thinking do you know what like what we said earlier I do want to do something different in life be it that I want to change my job but it's too late I've got the mortgage you know I'm stuck I'm never I can't do that you know it's all right for Maggie she did it but I can't do it so again that's quite a negative I mean what would you and and it could be any industry it could be that they want to do interiors or marketing or fashion or anything like that but it's more like an attitude what would you say to that person I got it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's quite a question. I think it's believing that if you want to change it, what you're doing, this is this is often in your power to make a change. At the same time, understanding that that change might involve, a, you know, a bit of effort and. The more you can find out about whatever it is you think you might want to do, that that is helpful. Uh, so that might be, you know, reading around around the, the 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 subject. It might mean going online because this is the this is the again the great advantage we have is you've got you can go to events, but you can also do so much virtually as well and people are happy to help so if there is someone who you think I would really like to do whatever she or he um it is doing reach out to them especially on things like LinkedIn I I, I find people are generally happy to help in some way they may not always have lots of time but they can point you in a certain direction and have a chat because it's those moments, you know, as human beings, it is those those moments where you make a connection of whatever kind. And it's those moments that, that change change your life, really. And having that little bit of 
of courage about doing it because it does take a bit of courage, doesn't it? Because you have to leave behind sometimes something that you know is wrong, but you've got to take that, take the jump into something which you feel is going to be a, a better, a better fit. And don't let self-doubt uh, be the thing that that's that stops you because self-doubt is an absolute nightmare and I fight it all the time and try to follow my example of going no this will be fine we will do this it'll be okay yeah. so yeah I, I don't know whether that is useful advice but that but the asking the asking for help mm. uh, people can be very surprising in what what they will do and also along that that you touched on being prepared to do the work yourself you do have to do the effort and actually it can be hard when you don't know again going back to you and your French but it probably was hard work to turn that around it doesn't you know and you said earlier as well someone's not going to come and tell you you know you've got it's got to come from you but if you get that there like you say then you know you're you're in a much better place Mm. yeah and 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 things are things, especially when people are taking the jump to to setting up perhaps their own company. It's a huge amount of work, a huge amount of work. And so, make it if you if that is the the direction you're thinking of going in, make it something you really care about. Because if you really care about something, you're far more likely to put the hours in. Uh, above and beyond than if you're doing something because you think this would make me a bit more money or this would make me look good or or whatever that rationale might be Uh, and don't give up I mean I'm a very I think I'm a very obstinate person so I sometimes I choose to, (laughs) to dig in about about something and make it make it happen especially when I'm told it won't be possible well you are you are actually you changed our worlds when we were younger you're changing the world now Maggie I had I when I got in touch with you to see if you'd come on the next chapter I had all that self-doubt you're talking about and I'm so glad I did ask because you've just been such a wonderful amazing guest thank you so much I hope I I do hope it is uh, helpful in some way and uh, for all the parents um listening is the the great thing about young people is just how much potential they they have got and yeah i, I wish you all the best my, my own daughter was a complete nightmare um for a very long time and then she did find she did find us her sense of direction and she hasn't looked back and she is a an absolutely delightful human being um, as as well as um, doing well in her career. Maggie, you've given us all lots and lots of hope. Thank you. Well, there you are. Thank you so much, Maggie. I loved our conversation. We could have spoken all day. I hope you enjoyed it too. So what next? Well, for me, I'm going to take this. It's about having the confidence that even if I can't do something now, it's not something to be frightened of. This is something I've really struggled with. But there's so much that we can be frightened of. What are you feeling frightened of? Perhaps you should write it down and just remember this. We can learn how to overcome it. 
Now, we also spoke a lot in this conversation about the pressures of parenting. And this is a theme I explore a lot in my novel, The Secrets of the Coffee Club. So if this is something you struggle with, hopefully this might be able to help you. And if you want to find out more about Maggie's teen tech and their wonderful work, and it really is wonderful, then the link is in the show notes. Now, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the charity Empire Fighting Chance, who are fighting for young lives. I love this charity, and I'm so proud they're now also supporting what we're doing here on the next chapter. So I'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you're feeling frightened, remember you can learn, you can do this. I believe in you and Maggie and Empire Fighting Chance now. They do too. Speak soon.